welcome to the latest episode of A Just Transition, brought to you by RBS International. My name's Tim Phillips, and a special welcome to the person who really does all the hard work around here, my co-host Bradley Davidson, ESG leader, RBS International. Bradley, welcome. Hi, Tim. It's good to be back. Bradley, we don't have any acronyms for you to explain today, but we do have a big, important topic today. We're talking about carbon credits and carbon trading. So who have we got today to help us with this? Yeah, absolutely. We thought we'd give listeners a break from that. <laughs> and yes, we, we are tackling a big topic today, but we're in good hands as we're joined by Bill Gilbert, Head of Digital Innovation at NatWest Markets. Bill continues to drive the development of Carbon Place as NatWest Group teams up with global banking giants to deliver a truly innovative platform. Welcome to the podcast, Bill. Thanks very much, Bradley. It's great to be here. It's our pleasure. So before we get into the details, could you share with our listeners a brief description of Carbon Place and the work you're doing within NatWest Group? Sure. We were handed a task of solving some of the challenges of Carbon Place. And typically, those challenges are buyers in the market who want to buy carbon credits for offsetting their residual emissions. And there are sellers in the market. Now, the buyers tend to be in developed countries and the sellers are in developing countries. And so there was a real problem connecting those two parties to the transaction because of things like know your customer, anti-money laundering problems, terrorist issues, because no Nobody knew who they were actually buying from and where the money was actually going. So the banks got together and said, okay, so how can we start making this accessible? And that was the first thing we started to build on. And so that's one of the problems we set out to solve and we believe we have solved it. The other one was how do we add transparency? A lot of the customers who wanted to offset their emissions didn't know how to. Where do I get it? How do I access it? How do I engage with the marketplace? So they had no idea. And so we felt that by having this platform and then engaging with our own customers, that would also bring that accessibility, but more importantly, transparency. The idea that banks were standing behind this platform for their customers, bringing all the transparency about price, about the projects, about any aspect of, of the marketplace was very important. And we felt that those two things, accessibility, transparency, would really lead to trust. People could feel that they could go to a marketplace, purchase a carbon credit through their bank, no matter where they were in the world, and trust the process and trust the value that they're getting from it. That's really what started it. And that was about 18 months ago we started the journey. Bradley, I'm not giving you any acronyms, but it's not a holiday for you here today. We need to take a step back at this point, don't we, to explain how does carbon trading work when it works? Firstly, I want to highlight that we're discussing the role of voluntary carbon offsets. This mm -hmm. differs to compliance markets established through programs such as the EU emissions trading system. Okay. Voluntary carbon markets allow market participants to offset unavoidable emissions, as Bill has said, by purchasing carbon credits delivered through projects that remove or avoid greenhouse gases. One point worth focusing on that often gets the attention is that carbon offsets are designed to tackle those areas of activity that cannot yet be decreased decarbonized through direct action by the company or entity. We recognize that we're on a journey working towards science-based or net zero targets, but the further investment is required to develop or scale up climate solutions. Offsets cannot be seen as the sole lever towards net zero, but they do play an important role during the transition and can deliver greater climate value for companies wishing to reduce emissions beyond their short-term pathway. The best way to view carbon offsets is another tool in the box as funds continue to 
adopt ESG. I want to touch on the market itself. So unlike compliance programs, which are restricted to specific regions, the voluntary space is significantly more flexible and can support entities globally. This reach has meant that carbon offsets have developed into a $1 billion market, with Mark Carney, the former Bank of England governor, estimating a rise to $50 billion by 2030. Mm -hmm. Despite this rapid acceleration, critics point to flaws within the unregulated market, and it's fair to say voluntary carbon offsets remain in their infancy, with further work required to ensure the system delivers value to both those insetters or those sellers and those end buyers, Mm -hmm. which brings us on nicely to Carbon Place. So, Bill, you've mentioned accessibility and transparency. So what's different or new about the platform? Everybody, I imagine, has, well, not everybody, but a lot of people have taken a flight recently. And when you book your flight, you're asked, do you want to offset the fuel? Oh, yes. (laughs) Now, everybody, even the biggest tree hugger among us, probably still says no. Because one, you don't trust it. Like, where's my money going? What are you actually doing with that? And, yep. and how do I prove that you're actually doing what you'll say you're doing? And so I think what Carbon Place sets about is, is really introducing a process by which the whole transparent journey of somebody offsetting their residual emissions is transparent. So a big important part of Carbon Place is any customer who joins through the bank is going to get a wallet. And that wallet will be able to track all the climate assets that they buy or sell, because if you own some land and you want to plant some trees and generate carbon credits, you will be able to sell those carbon credits as well. So having that audit trail, that reporting capability, as you transact is a very important aspect of really bringing trust to everybody who can now see what they're buying, what projects they're related to, and how they are making an impact in terms of changing their lifestyle to try and lower emissions and also offset the emissions that they can't actually get rid of at this point. Our vision is that you know you log on to your bank or your mobile app to check your, your account balance, but also at the same time, you'll be able to see, well, what climate assets do I have? Have I Do I have a biodiversity credit? Do I have a carbon credit? And then where have they come from? What have I bought? What have they offset? And I think being able to track that and bring that into everybody's day-to-day life, not only for obviously corporates and for businesses, but also eventually for personal accounts as well, is really the, that difference that Carbon Place looks to deliver. Bradley, is this just for businesses that are trading carbon, as Bill says, eventually for consumers as well? Or is there an angle for fund managers here? So over the last year, we've seen increased demand from fund managers to adopt science-based targets, as we've discussed extensively on this podcast. And when they set those targets and they go through that process, they're provided with a pathway to decarbonize with a primary focus on scope three emissions from investment activity where we're talking about funds specifically. As fund managers set out those ambitions, it's clear that challenges remain and that achieving net zero status will not be a linear process, creating an opportunity to leverage carbon offsets. I'm always going to come back to this point. I came back to it at the start, but I'll say it again. Before funds consider offsets, managers should benchmark their direct actions against peers to identify developments that may further reduce carbon emissions before Mm -hmm. tapping into the voluntary carbon offset market. Frameworks such as the Science-Based Targets Initiative do allow for the use of carbon offsets, but only to go above planned actions. So that has to be the first and very crucial step on the journey for fund managers. It is not a one or the other. It is a combined strategy together. 
once that review is complete, fund managers may use carbon offsets to minimize the net impact of remaining emissions through the purchase of carbon offsets through Carbon Place or other marketplaces. I'll be transparent there and say that there are others. For the sake of our listeners, I'll try and remain <laughs> neutral. Relatively simple when you really break it down. Clearly, work needs to be done in terms of due diligence and making sure that when you purchase a carbon credit, that you understand how it's been produced. And so I'll just end by touching on the point that no two credits are equal. Voluntary carbon credits can be produced through that carbon avoidance program. So for example, switching to renewable energy or removal projects such as investment in mangrove plantations. And many view the latter as being more sustainable since they'll continue to capture carbon once we achieve a, a net zero status for our economy. So fund managers should focus on that split between programs and look to tilt portfolios towards removal projects as time progresses. It isn't as simple as saying we've offset and that is the same quality across the board. You have to understand actually where that money is flowing through and our customers should be familiar with that is the same as making investments. You are making an investment. It is going into the real economy. You have to understand where that carbon offset has been created from. Bill and Bradley, you've both said earlier in this podcast that some people are a little bit cynical about the way the carbon offsets are used, uh, how they're marketed. And full disclosure, well, I'm one of them. So am I right to be cynical? Well, first of all, Tim, you're way too young to be cynical. Uh, <laughs> not until you, you get to the ripe old age that I am that, that you're allowed to be cynical. So, oh, thank uh, so, you. Yeah, a lot of outrage has been thrown around, that's for sure. But I don't know how anybody thinks a carbon credit is bad. First thing it does is, and let's say, just take a nature-based project. First of all, it restores nature. You know, you're restoring a bit of our globe that has been destroyed for some other economic reason, and now we're restoring it. So restoring nature, which I think most of us will agree, using Bradley's example, a mangrove is far more attractive than a brown field. I think not a day goes by when some aspect of our earth has been destroyed or lost, and these nature-based projects do restore biodiversity. All these projects, and ones that in particular over the last two or three years that have been started, all work with local communities key part of these projects is the positive impact on local communities, whether that local community is outside Manchester or whether it's in, in Honduras. It doesn't matter. They all benefit the local community and the programs are about basically doing that, about the benefit for the local communities. And lastly, it removes CO2 from the atmosphere. There's too much out there. And so, mm -hmm. you know, the idea of a carbon credit being bad is just completely mad to me. Mm -hmm. What people really, I think, are talking about is that are they being misused? Are people not changing their behavior while using a carbon credit? So basically, it's that same old question. Now, is money good? Is money bad? Well, it serves a purpose, but people use money for bad things. Mm -hmm. And so it's not the carbon credit itself that I think is bad. It's how people maybe abuse that. The other point to make is it's voluntary. You don't have to do this. You don't have to buy a carbon credit. Any corporate that sticks their hand in their pocket and pulls out 250,000 pounds with all this energy issues, inflation, rising interest rates, supply chain problems, pulls out 250,000 pounds to buy a, a bunch of carbon credits to offset their residual footprint, my hat goes off to them because they don't have to do it right now. And mm -hmm. they are doing it because one, emotionally, they believe it's the right thing. And philosophically, they believe it's the right thing. Most of the 
and I think the word here is greenwashing, that people feel happens is when people buy a $3 credit and claim that they're doing something that's worthwhile. Yes, yes. High integrity credits cost somewhere in the region right now between 12 and 20 pounds a ton. So if somebody comes up to you and says, oi, you want to buy some of these $3 ones, <laughs> you know, don't be surprised that if you went and saw where the project was, that it's a parking lot. Okay, mm. so but people still do buy them and they still claim that they're doing something for the climate. That's I think is more the issue. But people who are buying high quality credits, I don't know how anybody can say that they're behaving inappropriately because they're not. They really are working very hard. That point on integrity is so important when we're talking about carbon place and we're talking about carbon offsets. So how is it that we're maintaining that integrity through checks and balances to ensure credibility of the projects that are offered to customers, but also that are, are entering the marketplace itself? Yeah, so there's five, actually, there's quite a few independent entities that go through the verification and certification process. So their names like Vera, Gold Standard, uh, Plan Vivo. These are companies that have been working tirelessly for the past 15, sometimes 20, 30 years to really ensure that all these projects meet certain criteria and certain standards. Obviously, there's still people who try and game that. There are a couple of private companies that are also rating agencies, if you like. So Silvera is one, B0 is another, and they are going around and rating projects independently. So we have now great methodologies for identifying the standard of a project. We now have private companies adding services that can rate these projects as well. And we also have the industry through the Integrity Council of the Voluntary Carbon Market also coming out with their core carbon principles that's going to start adding their certificate to projects as well. Reputationally, it hasn't been the greatest market, but we're talking about 15 years ago. But I think the progress has been made in the last two years, and I would expect to continue. In another two years' time, we will, less time actually, probably in a year's time, we will have a lot of checks and balances throughout the industry in terms of finding and defining those high-quality credits. And I'd just like to add one thing about Carbon Place is that if you're a customer of NatWest, for example, you may know nothing about this market, but you want to buy a carbon credit, you're going to call up your bank and you're going to say, can you help me? Now, the banks are also going to add a lens and a filter to what they feel is high quality before they send it to their customers because banks have reputational risk and they don't want to be seen selling a load of rubbish to their customers. So you've, Carbon Place actually helps with that filtering process by using it through the banks, which is another value added that we believe Carbon Place can really add. Bill, I have so many questions about this. The, the first one is, and this really comes from talking to Bradley a lot, he, he's always saying that we over-index on the E in ESG. Well, for carbon offsets, the clue's in the name, carbon. Is this just about removing greenhouse gases from the atmosphere? No, it's not. When I was talking about the nature-based projects, NatWest actually are doing their own nature-based projects. And the company we work with, they've been in business a long time. They started off as biodiversity and social impact projects. Carbon credits is just a great way to pay for that, is mm -hmm. the way that they're approaching it. So, And a lot of other companies are the same way. How can we introduce social and economic justice? How can we introduce biodiversity? Carbon credits 
and remove CO2 from the atmosphere, which helps pay for it, is really a very powerful aspect. So there is a lot of S in it. The governance side of it is obviously policymakers are getting very much involved in this, particularly in the UK and in Europe, and actually in Japan. One of our partners is a, a Japanese bank on carbon place. And it's quite amazing the amount of policy that is being directed or being considered in the area. So it's all joined up. And I don't have to tell both you and Bradley that we are going through a, a period of transition. And that period of transition is always disruptive. People have to change from one thing to the next. It's going to be over an extended period of time. And a core part of that has to be the economic and the social justice of that transition. And I think carbon credits really does help with that process. Back to the E, though. Are there limits to what we can do with carbon trading, carbon credits? Yeah, there are. There's only so much land. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So there's not enough land to offset all the emissions that we put up into the atmosphere. Well, there is, but we would have no room to grow food, I don't think. And I think we all see the benefit of food, don't we? <laughs> so there's a tech-based solution, and this is still in its infancy. There are various companies that are really trying to solve the CO2 sequestration through technology. And as I said, it's in its infancy, a carbon credit through a tech-based solution can cost as much as 10 times what it costs the nature-based solution. But in much the same way that solar panels back in the 70s cost an arm and a leg, if it hadn't been for those early adopters and those early investors, we would not have been able to make the progress that we've made to date and continue to make in solar panels. All I can say is you know, it's almost like a charity in some place. People feel that it's a, their obligation to support this investment. It may work, may not work, but they are putting a lot of money into it because without it, it's going to be a tough nut to crack just relying on nature. And so given that, how do you define success at Carbon Place? What would that look like? Uh, how long have you got to get there? Not very long, I guess. <laughs> well, the sooner the better. Mm. Not getting too scientific. Right now, the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere is 41 thousandths of 1%. Mm. Doesn't sound like much, does it? But the last ice age had about 20 thousandths of 1%. So we're doubled that from the last ice age. Now, I think we'll all probably agree, none of us were alive then, but the ice age was probably a bit too cold. Right now, it's probably a little bit too warm. So we need to try and strike that balance between the anthropogenic or the human-generated CO2 emissions that we put up into the air, what we can take out of the air through nature and through technology, it's that balance. And that's what this transition is about. So it's transitioning to a, an economy that clearly puts a lot less emissions up in the air, works more productively in taking it out. But is the end goal a completely zero emissions world? Well, no, it's not because nature itself puts it back up there. So there's a lot of, I guess, variables in this. A lot of people argue that we're not doing enough. I would argue we're, we're probably not doing it quick enough. But I think there are a number of people really working towards to meeting the goals of the Paris Agreement. But yeah, we need to do it a little bit quicker, I think. Do you have hard targets that you have to hit? Carbon place as a business and in terms of what we're trying to achieve with our customer base, we have targets in terms of what we feel needs to be done in order to prevent a climate catastrophe. But that's not just up to Carbon Place, that's up to all of us. Bill, really interesting to hear about what you're doing, but Bradley's got one more question for you. Yep, I always get the, the fun bit at the end. So this podcast is called A Just Transition. What does a just transition mean to you, Bill? <sighs> it's a tricky one. Yes. To me, the missing part right now 
is, and maybe this is a shock to anybody who works in a bank, we need a little bit more regulation, I think, in terms of how people should behave and how people should change their behavior. I think that that has a dramatic effect in the way that the speed at which we can move. As always, and I think I highlighted before, there's always disruption when you go through change. And I think some people will be unintentionally disadvantaged. So I think government actually, conversations we have, they are very concerned with that not happening and, and how to rectify it. And I think we ourselves as well in banks, particularly in that West, we talk about it all the time in terms of how we can serve the community in a just way. And I think everybody has to work towards that. There are always people who try to take advantage of these things. It's in our interest to really work together. And I'll leave you with one thought is that we're not trying to save the planet. The planet's going to survive. You know, it's been around for four and a half billion years and it's probably seen a heck of a lot worse than what us humans have thrown at it. The planet will survive. What might not survive is the human species, our ability to sustain ourselves. So I think there is a common goal here to work together to solve it. That is a fundamental appeal to our self-interest, isn't it? Bill, thank you very much. For people who want to find out more about Carbon Place, where do they look? So we have a website, carbonplace.com. If you're more interested also in climate, uh, we've written a bunch of articles as well on the NatWest website, which sort of goes through helping people with their transition plans, their climate strategies, and obviously pick up the phone and, and give us a shout. We're very happy to chat through. Careful what you wish for, Bill. Thank you for, <laughs> for that. Thank you for listening, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed this episode about what really is a very, very important and hotly disputed topic. So be interested to hear what you think about it. If you've got any points of view, please do get in touch with us. Don't just get in touch with Bill, get in touch with us as well. Now, also, if uh, you like what you're hearing on A Just Transition, remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be there. And uh, give us a review as well, especially if it's a five-star review. We really do prefer those. Look out also in a couple of weeks' time for our news update, bringing you all the news that's happening in ESG, provided by Bradley. Thank you, Bill. And to our listeners, we'll see you again after our summer break when we return in September. And until then, goodbye. <laughs>